This is Gil Manser, welcoming you to Word by Word Conversations with Writers from North Bay Public Media. KRCB-FM tonight's guests are some of the talented local writers involved in the From Pen to Published Redwood Writers' 8th Biannual Conference, which will be held this year on the campus of the Santa Rosa Junior College, Saturday, April 26th. Tony Heverin is retired from a career in police support services as a meter maid, dispatcher, community service officer, etc., Her experience gives her a rich and textured understanding of the complex life of the men and women behind the badge. She uses this with authority in Force or Fear and her other Nick, Ray's, and Meredith Ryan murder mysteries. Sandy Baker says that words have always been a large part of her life. Using her B.A. in English from Penn State, she taught English to Army GIs stationed in Germany, worked as a newspaper reporter and columnist, and writes short stories for kids and poetry for teens. She's the author of several books for kids and garden settings, including Howie's Hummingbird Dilemma and Mrs. Feeney and the Grubby Garden Gang. And for something completely different, she co-wrote the nuclear terrorism thriller The Tehran Triangle with former Secretary of Air Force Thomas C. Reed. Alexis Fajardo is a student of the classics, whether that be Daffy Duck or Damocles and has created a unique blend of the two in his graphic novel series, Kid Beowulf. Lex has taught cartooning throughout the San Francisco Bay Area and currently resides in Santa Rosa, where, when not penning his graphic novels, he can be found working for Peanuts at the Charles M. Schultz Studio. Tony, Sandy, and Alexis, welcome to Word by Word. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Thanks. Gil. So the two ladies who are with us today are the co-chairs of this year's conference. So what part of it was the most entertaining for you that you didn't expect? The speakers, trying to find the speakers, um, to me was the most exciting. To find so much talent in the Bay Area, we tried to go local as much as we could Mm -hmm. um, just to keep the expenses down. And it was so exciting to see so many talented people in the the North Bay, but also in the Bay Area. We have um, one writer coming from Morgan Hill and another from... Somewhere in the South Bay, yeah. So what I was surprised to see was the variety of genres that were covered. We've got, you know, the classic romance. We've got the the uh, taut thrillers. We have the um, the poetry extraordinaire. Tell us what and who should sign up for this event. I think this event, Gil, is probably suitable for writers who are already published and want to learn some techniques for fine-tuning maybe additional marketing and publishing techniques, Mm -hmm. maybe some additional information regarding uh, the legal aspects of writing and marketing. Mm -hmm. But I think it's also going to be very good for, I say, wannabe writers or writers that are on the verge of publishing because there's a lot of detail, details that they need to know about, uh, I think on the legal side, there are um, what the, what they will also learn besides being in the sessions is that networking with other authors is going to provide them with an amazing amount of information and motivation. Mm-hmm. They're going to hear stories about how other authors did it 
they'll hear hear tales of survival and tales (laughs) about issues and problems that they encountered. And hopefully the writers that haven't published yet are going to take these stories and information to heart and try not to make the same mistakes that the more experienced writers have. So it's a really great combination for both published and non-published authors, I think. So Lex, you do something which is a somewhat of a what we'll say, cross-genre, because you're an artist and a creator or a character. Do you do the dialogue as well for your graphic novels? I do, and I really like the um, the title of this conference, The Pen to Publish, because it's, that's what all I do is I, I draw, I write, mm-hmm. I put the books together. Um, it's sort of a, a one-man wrecking crew for Kid Beowulf. Okay, uh, Kid Beowulf, which... Um Either could mean something to our listeners or nothing to our listeners. Sure. So tell us the backstory and how you got to there. So um, as you mentioned in your lovely intro, I am a lover of the classics. Um, and Beowulf is, is a classic that a lot of folks were either forced to read in high school or skipped over. Or saw the movie or, with uh, – Or right. may have seen that rendition. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, – and so it was a, it was a, a book that I read in, in high school and fell in love with, and, and uh, I wanted to, um, when I was coming up with my own comic book series, I always sort of go back to the, to the classics. And uh, mine's sort of a unique take in, in which Beowulf, the, the big Viking warrior, and Grendel, the man-eating monster, his mm-hmm. archenemy, are mm-hmm. in fact 12-year-old twin brothers. And so uh-huh. I sort of go back to their origin story, spin out a, a new yarn, and the nugget of Kid Beowulf is basically Beowulf and Grendel traveling across Europe and Asia, meeting other heroes, getting into other adventures, and discovering that one day they have to fight each other. Yeah, I'm trying to remember my Scandinavian mythology. Did they come forth from the same brow of Zeus like uh, the Greek uh, twins? or, or No, this no, they just... are. The, the, that part is wholly original, and okay. that, that always kerfluffles medieval <laughs> scholars until they start to read it, and they say, oh, yeah, oh, there's, yeah. there's some well, merit here. And It's uh, two parts of the same Right, psyche, shall we yeah. say? Yeah, and and uh, and my hope is just to point readers, kids, um, those same medieval scholars and and fans alike back to the original source material and kind of discover something new. So, as a cartoonist, were you one of those who discovered in the back of a matchbook that that school somewhere in the me. yeah yeah the draw me things of the the cat or the face or whatever right. it was? That's funny. I think uh, I think to a certain degree, all of us are artists when we're I mean we're all drawn when we're kids, right? And there are just some of us who keep drawing when we're adults, and uh, and invariably we end up being cartoonists mm-hmm. or animators or something in the in the arts or um, want to be cartoonists or want to be yeah, sure yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. But it's just, I was just one of those very stubborn kids who was very drawn to whether you know Snoopy, Calvin and Hobbes, The Far Side, and wanted to do it on my own and uh, would not take no for an answer. So uh, to a high school student out there or junior high student who likes to draw and is you know, enjoys doing it and does a pretty good product. Mm-hmm. What's your advice for them? Should they go to schools? Should they just draw like crazy? Should they go, you know, camp out at Disney Studios or or in front of the Schultz Museum? What? Yeah, you know, there's there's really no method for becoming a cartoonist. There are a dozen different stories, and each one is is not a surefire way because somehow there's, you know, there's a, a crack in the wall you, you skirt through and then somebody, you know, patches it up. So... Um, there are schools, though, now, nowadays. There's the cartoon, the Center for Cartoon Studies, which is in Vermont, and that's an accredited institution. You can get a master's in cartooning. There's the School of Visual Arts. I think they have schools in Savannah and um, 
Savannah, Georgia, and other parts of uh, the East Coast. Cal Arts is a great place. I mean, mm-hmm. so there are schools. Uh, I did not go to school. I, I went to school specifically for uh, writing and English, and I was I was self taught really. And it took a long time to to get good. Only maybe in the last couple of years do I feel like my work has gotten to a place where uh, I'm pleased with it. So you know. Uh, you could do it that way. You could go to school and then sort of get accelerated. But there, there are lots of different avenues, um, and you just have to be, you just have to persevere right. and uh, right. keep drawing. Well, that's one of those. We'll get back to your story arc and what works specifically for you. But Sandy, how did you end up doing the Tehran Triangle? Which is when, when was that? When did that come out? That came out in 2012, and uh, Tom Reed and I had been. Friends for a oh number, yes, I'm friend with the years. former secretary of the Air Force. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, <laughs> we we had met and socialized, and he was looking for beta readers for his book. Mm-hmm. Okay, and he gave it to my husband. Ah, and my husband said, "No, no, 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 give it to Sandy. She's the English person, the writer, the reader, the grammarian. You know how that goes." Right. So. I got a copy of the first uh, draft of the Tehran Triangle, and Tom liked my commentary and constructive criticisms, and we just went from there. And it took us two years to put it together. We met every single Tuesday at uh, the Almud Express in Windsor, had breakfast, and thrashed out the book chapter by chapter by chapter. And uh, it was fun because we're kind of yin and yang. He's the technical engineering. The Tom uh, Clancy side. The Tom Clancy side, just totally. And linear, that's what he does. He thinks very linearly. And I'm more the creative person, the plot and the character person, and think in all different directions. So we we really worked well together and, and just had a great time doing it. So you did two editing jobs. You were the story editor as well as the line editor. Then you didn't just do gram- grammatical changes. Correct. Correct. Yes. Yeah. It, that's what made it very challenging to the two of us because he wasn't a, a character development kind of person. Mm-hmm. He had all the technical information, all the political information, which I did not. And but I had the other side of it, and so we just it, it was we were a great pair working together. Right. Yeah, and I'm working on the sequel now. I have to say that I saw that online. You yeah. Did. And do you have a title yet? I'm calling it the Tehran Revenge. Ah, okay. Keep the title, some of the words from the same oh, title, yes. right? Oh, yes. You didn't call it n- number two, though, or B or something. No, 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 no. I'm not doing that. I'm <laughs> I'm hoping it'll hang together well enough that people can read it as a sequel or independently. Tony, yes. how did you get in to support services? I took the job on a dare. I took the test on a dare. Uh-huh. And, and this out. was where? This was for San Rafael Police. Okay. And um, it was for parking enforcement officer. And I was working a kind of a go-nowhere job at a bank and not really enjoying it so much. My dad was in law enforcement. Uh, so I thought, well, why not? So I took the test and uh, came out uh, first mm-hmm. and was hired second and um, stayed there for four years. Loved the job. Had a great time. Uh, married a, a a policeman and then left the job for a while. Right. Ended up in Bishop. I did. And I if did. people, our <laughs> listeners don't know, Bishop is this, 
I guess I would call it quaint and and combination of ingredients town way up in the mountains, almost into Nevada. Yeah, I could see Nevada, Nevada from, from my your front from my porch. front porch, literally, <laughs> literally. Yeah, yes, yeah, it's, it's a great place to visit. Live mm-hmm. We lived there for ten years. It was it was quite isolated, but um, that isolation kind of gave me the impetus to, to to get serious about my writing. And my husband decided that uh, he'd make a deal with me. If I was going to be serious, and I was, I was still working full-time at this time, if I wanted to write, that he would take over all the household duties and he would cook. He's a great cook. He's a better cook than I am. And uh, he would take over all the jobs, and I would write a book. So I wrote two books. And then uh, when we moved, one I put away because I just wasn't that crazy about it. When, when, when did you, it. when did you do this? This was ninety six to oh, ninety okay. to ninety nine ninety to two thousand. We moved in two thousand. Moved back here two thousand four. And um, one still in a closet, and the other one I lost during the move. And that's that one became by force or fear. It was titled that had a different title. At so that this time. is a resurrected novel. Well, I lost everything but the outline, uh-huh. and, which was ideal because I, the second time I wrote it, I liked it a lot. And then I went back and rewrote it, and and then I self published in uh, 2012. Well, we have, um, and the reason I picked those three specific books is because we have different stories of what happens with the book. And that's one of the things this this conference will do. There is, as everyone knows, publishing has taken off. There are more than 3 million new titles published every year since the advent of print-on-demand and self-publishing. And you're going to have a track, I guess we'll call it that, of people who want to self-publish, who learn more about what's involved in that. And then we'll, I guess we'll call the contrast traditional publishing. So tell us, who here has done what we would call traditional publishing? You have. with yes. the Yes, but you're in a, in a kind of a niche part of that, the graphic novel part. Yeah, cartooning is interesting because um, so many of us are self-publishers, and we, and we wear that with a badge of honor. And then mm-hmm. there's another set, um, and, they, and oftentimes they overlap, where you do the traditional publishing. So the very first Kid Beowulf graphic novel that I ever did was – Back in I think two thousand four two thousand five, and like Tony, it was very much a um, a first draft that I was using to just sort of get out to publishers. I was pitching it to to Scholastic and to Abrams and to all sorts of places. Okay, let me interject a question: that most of the people who are writers know what a pitch is, and they're d- dramatically different for a nonfiction or fiction book. Mm-hmm. But how do you pitch a graphic novel? Do you you must have some illustrations or or yeah, um, cartoons to go. And with. actually, I, I had actually just done a 200-page graphic novel. I just sort oh, of just, was doing oh. it, and and with, and I would sort of publish it in in excerpts, and and just eventually just have by yourself to, online. Yeah, yeah. Um, this was in print form. I would go oh, to you, shows oh. and just print up, you know, digest size stapled books and fanzine kind fanzine of thing? sort of oh, thing. Okay. Yeah, uh, very bare bones. Um, which is the great thing about comics is that and that's now worth and, a fortune if anybody has copies of that, right? Uh, well, you know, I've. Well, so to, to to go back to the to to that iteration of it, it was one that I it was it was very early. I was sort of finding my my voice both literally and artistically, and I was using it to to just get in the door with publishers. And I did find one, and they liked the series, and they wanted to sort of do a uh, to go forward with the series. But I realized that to really hit the audience, I wanted to get 
kids and and um, middle schoolers, and I just needed to work to rework the the original book. So I basically, like Tony, I basically redid the first book, all 200 pages, and um, tried to gobble up all the all the previously. Uh, published versions that I'd done as a self-publisher and get rid of them. So, mm. uh, and there might be some lurking around on eBay and, and big they bonfire. Might huh? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And they might be worth something. I don't know. Um, but uh, but it did in a way it did work. It did get me to to meet with a publisher and and we had a we had signed for a three book deal and uh, the first book Kid Beowulf and the Bloodbound Oath, which was the retelling of the origin story, came out in two thousand eight. And that was followed in 2010 by Kid Beowulf and the Song of Roland. Mm-hmm. And in between 2010 and 2012, when I was working on book three, my publisher, they their parent company folded. Mm. And Where are they based? They were based in Portland, Oregon. They oh, were okay. part of uh, Ink and Paper Group. Mm. And they were the graphic novel division of that, uh, of that um, imprint. And uh, – so I got like 150 pages into the third book, and it was really feeling good. And I thought it was, you know, this one's really going to hit. People are going to really like this one. And I get a call from my publisher. He's like, you know what? Um, we're no longer a company, and we can't publish your book. And after I tried to digest that uh, and figure out a new game plan, um, you know, we tried to repitch it to new publishers, but they're a little leery. You know, a, a series in the middle of of it's run. It just, you know, it was a really tough sell. So I just basically bought back the bought back the rights, the remaining stock, did a Kickstarter for book three, uh, and and I'm now, you know, back to the beginning as a self publisher. And um, and I know a lot more about the industry, how it works, what works, what doesn't, and what works for me. So you set up your own publishing company. Yeah. And how? Where are you having them printed? Um, well, the latest book, which was called Kid Beowulf and the Rise of El Cid. That came out. You mean these El Cid from from, from Spain, from Moorish yeah. Spain? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so book three, they they make their way to Spain. Meet El. Were those El contemporaries? Uh, no, no. And that's sort of the <laughs> the fun and the um, uh, and the head scratcher for a lot of people is because they're they're jumping timelines. Um, but uh, it's your universe. Right? Yeah, exactly. Right. I think once so. they get to whatever country they're in, they've entered that golden age, and with it, those characters. Um, and uh, so in any event, I did research lots of publishers. I looked, you know, to China, to, you know, Canada. Uh, and I actually settled on a place in Michigan, Sheridan Books, I believe their name is. And they did a terrific job on the third book. And it looks exactly like the first two. Mm-hmm. So it fits that trilogy look that uh, I did with the first uh, publisher. And uh, I tried to make a seamless transition. And, I, and for the most part, I think no one would know if they uh, saw those books on the shelf. Right. Well, let's let's use that and use that as a segue to talk to our other two guests because, Sandy, your books are put out – they're published locally. I have published my books in several different ways. Okay. Let's. you want to share some of that with us? My first book I published through Lightning Source. Mm-hmm. Which is an online company that does print on demand. It's kind of like that. It's in um, partnership with Amazon as well. Uh, it is the publishing branch of Ingram, which is one of the largest distributors mm-hmm. in the world probably. I tried that because 
I did that after I attended my first conference, and that was kind of the information that I was getting at the time of that's a good way to go. Right, which probably it was then. And I had pitched my books to publishers, and I have beautiful rejection letters. (laughs) I think we all probably Mm do. Mm -hmm. They were great, and I always thought of, you know, if they're so great, why don't you publish my book? Well, you know, they have their reasons. And I decided I'm not doing that. I'm going to publish myself. So I started my own little publishing company, and I love it because I have total control. Mm -hmm. Okay, that was my first book. My second book, I decided, again— What was the title of that one? My second book was Zach's Zany Zucchini Land. And you can tell this is part of my kid gardening series. We can call it that. Um, I actually, again, published that myself through my own company, but had it printed overseas instead of going the print-on-demand way. So that meant you had to have a run of how many thousand? That meant I had to have an inventory of minimum 1,000 books. Right. And I still have a lot on hand. In your garage. (laughs) 1,000 books is a lot of books. Correct. It was beautiful. They did a really wonderful job. This was through a Canadian company Mm -hmm. and through their subsidiary over in China somewhere, I think. Okay, let me let me stop you here. Yes. And anyone is welcome to jump in on this one. How do you find sources when you are an author with a book that you want to get out? In both of your instances, they're heavily illustrated. Mm. So you're, you have a, what I will say, a finite number of choices for the quality to be what you want. So what did you use as a resource to get there? That was always the challenge for me in the beginning because I started out with zero knowledge about how to get my books published. Mm-hmm. The other part of it is is that I really didn't even quite know how to write a children's picture book, and I had to find an illustrator. I have found that belonging to writing and publishing organizations have been my best resource. Mm-hmm. I belong to Redwood Writers, which is fantastic. Uh, I also belong to the Bay Area um, Independent Publishers Association. They were the ones that helped me get contacts for a book designer, uh, my first illustrator, the whole information, the background on Lightning Source. Uh, So belonging to professional organizations, those two as well as the Society of Children's um, Book Writers and Illustrators. Mm -hmm. And you just can't go wrong if you join these organizations because they have information and networking opportunities. And it's – I would not have survived. Right. And it was really being a part of Redwood Writers that gave me the final impetus to Get going and get my books out there. Get them written, finished, edited, and published and out the door. The nice thing about those three organizations that you mentioned, they all meet at one sometime during the year in Sonoma County. Correct. So it's wonderful it's, for writers. It's wonderful. And, you know, whether you're a published author or just a, a beginning writer and wannabe, those organizations are so helpful, mm-hmm. and it's it's so great to hang out with authors and presenters because every time you learn something new. I mean, I just hear things from Lex that I hadn't known or heard before. I mean, it's really wonderful, and I will become a better writer and publisher just by listening to others tell their stories. And you know, it's and it's, people learn from you too. 
I, I hope yes. so. Because well, they are today. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Of a conversation. Right. I have yes. some experiences in, in this whole publishing arena that nobody else has. That's right. My, the third part of my publishing experience is going totally with Create Space, having them publish for and with me, but then having my books actually printed locally for my own uh, inventory. Actually, that's interesting. Just to piggyback on uh, what Sandy was saying, um, those organizations are terrific, and I'm a member of several of them. Um, and then within my own cartooning community, we have comic conventions. Mm-hmm. Comic-Con. Comic-Cons throughout um, – Actually, now it's like every other weekend you could find a show, <laughs> and there will be people like me there. There'll be there'll be folks who work for Marvel and DC, and 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 so you know you just go up to people at their table and you ask them you know who printed their book, where did they, what their experience was. Everybody's very open right. and happy to share right. information. Very willing which to is share. Really nice. Yeah. You don't feel like you're competing with them. I mean, right. everybody is so willing to share the information mm-hmm. because we're we're all doing different things and going in different directions and have different markets. So why not share? Right. I mean, I want every other writer to succeed. That's the way I feel about it. Mm-hmm. Well, the nuts and bolts are consistent. So, you know, right. the only difference being your genre and whether you're illustrated or not. Right. right. So, Tony, so this opportunity on the 26th of April on a Saturday at the Santa Rosa JC will bring all kinds of different people together. And if you are in the position where you're looking for some help and assistance in whatever part of the writing process you are now in, mm-hmm. this is the place to be. Absolutely. Uh, we have four different tracks. Our tracks are craft and uh, genre, publishing and marketing. Mm-hmm. In the craft track, we're talking we talking about point of view, which is critical. I just read a book um, – about a month ago, where in one scene, the point of view switched three times, and it was very difficult to keep track of who who was speaking and mm-hmm. whose perspective, and it was very distracting. Well, I, you know, what you do then is you put balloons above the characters, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> That's exactly. Right. Except if you read Japanese manga, you have to read it the opposite because it goes, yeah. yeah, it doesn't go the way we and were they're trained. Tricky. Yeah, it's, they're yeah. tricky. It's, it's a whole other... <laughs> Set of uh, talents, right? So Ransom Stevens is do, is going to do a great uh, presentation on point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amanda McTighe from uh, Sonoma State is going to do Power of Place. You know Amanda. We had both on this show, right? She's fabulous. Um, the secret that best selling authors want to know is how to outline your story. I'm a firm believer in outliners, but uh, or in outlining, but. Um, I switch my outline around to suit my characters and my plot as things change. So, it's, the secret is you get a board like that and put Post-it notes on that's it. That's exactly so you, what yeah, I do. See, Three yeah. by five cards. Well, same diff, right? <laughs> Post-it notes are more fun. Though. Uh, they oh, you have different colors too. Uh, and then crafting double duty uh, dialogue and triple duty. Could, dialogue can make or break a scene. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been books written that have scenes that have no dialogue in them. Mm-hmm. But that's a tough. That's a tough one to do. I think you'd have to be a really, really good writer to do that. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Comes to mind. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Of yes. oh, Gil, I just and Tony, I just want to jump in here for a second. Uh, it's interesting that that Tony chose the genre track to talk about, and what I want to say, which really maybe surprised us as the chairs of the conference, is that those four sessions in the genre track are the ones that are the most 
enrolled. People pre-enrolled, want to, right? Yes, people want to know about the specifics of these. Not the not the genre. I'm sorry, craft, <laughs> craft. I, I misspoke. It's the craft. They want to know the how tos of crafting, whether they're writing fiction, nonfiction, children's stories, or whatever. Which, in a way, a couple of years ago, I can compare. People were all into the marketing mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. publishing. They wanted all those details. And they've kind of switched now, moved, made a little movement over more to the craft and the genre. Although I have to say the marketing track, of which Lex is a part, and you also, Gail, mm-hmm. are, are very heavily populated as, as well. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> Uh, as as people have, I've heard this several times. Um, as indie authors are flooding the market, the ebook marketplace and the and the, the print copy marketplace, um, the the newness is wearing off. And as I mentioned about that ebook that I read last month, with the different POVs or points of view, that was so distracting. People are concentrating. Really serious writers are concentrating more on quality. They're trying to turn out a good product, mm-hmm. something that's going to be have quality and that I'm proud to put Tony Hevron on. That's what I'm doing, and I think that's what all 90 to 100 people that are going to be here are, are going to be doing as well. Okay, this is a good time for a break. You are listening to Word by Word on North Bay Public Media, KRCB-FM, where today's conversation was with the writers – Tony Hevron, Sandy Baker, and Lex Fajardo. This eclectic group writes mysteries, thrillers, kids gardening and craft books, and graphic novels featuring Kid Beowulf. Stay tuned to KRCBFM for more intriguing tales of how a former meter maid, English teacher, and cartoonist became award-winning writers. So what other tracks uh, do we have? We have the, you called it the genre track? Genre track, Mm -hmm. yes. Um, And uh, speculative fiction has gotten to be a huge market. Okay, explain what that means. Does that um, mean I go out and bet on the market? um, um, Actually, it's kind of an all-inclusive term. used to be science fiction, Mm. but there's so much more to... speculative fiction than just science fiction. You have worlds, you have post-apocalyptic worlds, you have fairy worlds, you have all different types of places. And um, the first, our first workshops Well, called, let, me, let me ask a question. Lex, is mm-hmm. yours, does that fall, your groups, your books fall into that category? Speculative? Uh, that's a good question. I never really thought of it that way. It doesn't not fit that category. Um, I am speculating what would the outcome be of of uh, Beowulf and Grendel as twin brothers, and and what their predestination is, and and yeah. so in, in a sense, yeah, that does that does fit. And so you've cre- you've created a, a separate special world for your Absolutely. characters. Yeah, that's 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 true. Um, and uh, so Beowulf and Steve Jobs is not far behind. Is that right? Well, that might be a little too far <laughs> flung, but um, uh, well, how well, long does Beowulf live? Well, in, in my series, he's you know he starts out. We we first meet him when he's twelve, and I have a twelve book series I want to do. And oh. along the way, they'll sort of slowly grow up. And and um, uh, the last book in my series, uh, he'll be eighteen or nineteen. No, and so but we'll not really up. grow up yet. No, because the finale is Beowulf, the epic poem. Yeah, gotcha. And, and so mm. he, he lived to be fifty or sixty, and he died fighting a dragon. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Steve Jobs did not make it into that version. No. I'm fascinated. I'm just really fascinated. Absolutely. 
It's a lot of fun to write, so and I love I can imagine. telling folks about it too. It's what they so. call the long tail. Uh, Only yeah. both both types of spellings of tail. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Which is a nice segue into the first, uh, <laughs> the first. I like workshop. how you guys think. This is great. Beyond dragons and time travel, we're going to have uh, Ann Wilkes, Linda McCabe, and Robert Digitali. Okay, have all, all written, do fantasy. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, and then we're the, and who have all been on this show as well. They have. Yeah. Right. Um, and then we're going to have an open forum and meet and greet. Uh, at the same time, we're going to start our romance panel because we have got five. Fabulous, ro- world-class romance authors who are going to be doing a panel. And um, Sharon, our very own Sharon Hamilton is going to be moderating and conducting it. So it's it should be very exciting. Yeah, I see her stuff on Facebook, and she keeps showing us the different models for the covers of her books, which are about Navy buff Navy SEALs. Absolutely. So there's all these, you know, men with no shirts on flexing their Serious pecs. Serious six-packs. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <sighs> One can only dream. Anyway. Uh, I think that's why she's selling so many books, right? She yeah. She's doing, doing very well. Yeah. Yes. yes. She's a, a New York Times bestselling author, mm-hmm. actually. Wow. Um, and then uh, for our third um, workshop, the nonfiction writing, get the book you need using the stuff you have. Catherine Brandcamp, also a very dynamic presenter, mm-hmm. has written both nonfiction and fiction um, works. Um, she's also a realtor, isn't she? She, I, I'm not sure if she's still oh. doing it, but well, I know when she, she was, was at visiting, one time. She yes. was, yes. Okay. Yeah, she's she's a real powerhouse. Right. And then Garrett Von, uh, John Groenveld is writing is uh, teaching a playwriting primer. Primer, um, and Redwood Writers every year does, in conjunction with the Sixth Street Playhouse, does a, a, a playwriting contest. Mm-hmm. So we're hoping some of our members will. Um, and actually, I think we've got pretty good, pretty healthy signups for that. And class. it's just so, not a contest. Don't they do a presentation of the of a they, reading of the play? The winners of the contest actually last year we had seven winners, so we had ten minute plays, mm-hmm. seven ten minute plays. Um, the f- the year before that, it was six winners, so we had six ten-minute plays, and and Sixth Street puts them on. We have some of some of our own staff are our directors, uh, but mostly they're from Sixth Street. Yeah, they're fully produced on stage right. at Sixth Street, and last year was the first time that I had attended. I was blown away. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I, I was very so impressed. Yeah, which made me want to think about how do I write a ten-minute play? How do I? I can't get my head into it, and I think I actually signed up for that session because <laughs> I like to know how how you do that. I mean, it just just taking so much emotion, action, whatever, and putting it into ten minutes that can be fully produced to have people enjoy it and be affected affected by it in one way or another. I mean, it, it's a real challenge, mm-hmm. and I'm impressed with anybody who can do that. Right, especially when you have to have dragons and, and big you <laughs> lots know, of production Grindles values. And production yeah. values, yeah. right? Okay, so next, uh, next we have the publishing tract, and one of the um, what, the the workshops that I'm really looking forward to is being put on by a local attorney, Helen Sedwick, mm-hmm. and it's the alphabet soup of writing and blogging, and basically it's it's. Uh, DBA doing business as EIN, POD, and the legal guide to to all of these things. And she's going to give an hour presentation. She's going to get all in sixty minutes. Well, she's (laughs) she's going to get as much covered as she can. She she's got a book in the works, and it's not going to be ready for the for the. 
conference, but it uh, she I'm sure will address all of those things. Okay. Uh, and then publishing pathways. Just, just one, let me come back, Lex, to the fact when your publisher went out of business, where, mm-hmm. you, where you were, and we'll talk about that a little more. Oh, of course. Okay. And from the legal aspect. Sure. Okay. Publishing pathways. Brooke Warner is going to talk about the traditional versus the indie. Um, publishing, okay. which should give the audience. Uh, I know and, for for me, it took a long time f- uh, to reconcile that Vanity Press, mm-hmm. which I, I, no one ever hears anymore. No one ever says no, Vanity Press anymore. No, they're called a new anymore. thing now. What do they call it? Well, Alternative Press or something y- like that? Yeah. W- whatever it is, it's not Vanity anymore, and I like that. <laughs> so it took that's me a long pay time on to demand, get not print on demand. Yeah, really. Yeah, that's okay. true. That's true. Um, so anyway, she's going to explore those, and that will hopefully give some of our members some direction in which way they they want to go. And her background is? Do you remember? Uh, she has been. She's got three businesses. Uh, let me see here. She's also the uh, publisher of um, that website. She writes, oh, and I think it's a publishing okay. company yes, too. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That'll work. Okay, and then we have um, how to write a winning book proposal by uh, also a local um, member, Linda Joy Myers, who, mm-hmm. who's really well-known as a memoirist. Right. Um, but to get things pitched, to get an, a publisher or an agent to be interested in your work, you have to be able to write something that's going to attract them. And Linda Joy Myers is going to show the audience how to do that. Good. And that's for nonfiction pieces. That is strictly nonfiction, yeah. Proposals. Anybody who's writing a nonfiction book always has to write a proposal for an agent particularly. That's the way. It's different than fiction books. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way it's done. Uh, And our last marketing is uh, kicked off with YouTube and book trailer how-to by Lex Fajardo, Mm -hmm. Peter Suela, who's not here, and... Gil Mansard. Thank you. Yeah, maybe you could talk about that. About that? Yeah. Well, we what haven't talked together about it. I know I have some wonderful clips that I've found that I've <clears throat> confiscated from YouTube. <laughs> and they are wonderful to watch because in, I don't know, two minutes, you learn what you should not do with your YouTube promos. Uh, so what are you going to do? See, this is a good time for us yeah. to talk about this. Um, I know for my part, I've been doing book trailers, boy, for many years now. Mm-hmm. I think my first one was like 2005. Are they cartoon book trailers? They're, they're animated? It's like motion graphics. Okay. It's sort of a combination yeah. of um, a rousing epic score put to my graphics. And uh, really they were done out of, you know, when I go to these comic shows that I mentioned earlier, you're, you're, you're just desperate for folks to, to come by the table because there's just so much distraction. So I thought, well, maybe I can just, you know, I have all this material that I've drawn. Maybe I can find another way to... to to share it. So I did this book trailer with a friend of mine and, and it was a combination of Photoshop and InDesign and, and uh, After Effects and all sorts of film editing. Okay. So this brings up a question which I mm-hmm. should have asked earlier. When you say draw, do you do this on a tablet or a piece of paper? I, I am personally old school, just uh, Bristol board and pens oh. and paper. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like like Mr. Schultz himself. Yes. Yeah. Um, but there, you know, the computer is a great tool for everything else. And uh for book trailers as well. Um, so we would, I would sort of storyboard it and I'd sit behind a desk and point at the screen and my buddy who knows computers would kind of fit it together and make it look snazzy. And, and so I've done a whole series of these trailers and often tie them to the release of a new book. And, and um, Peter Swella, who, who you mentioned before, is not with us, but he's a friend of mine who's also helped me with this. And, and um, 
you know, when we did the Kickstarter, he did the videos for me and, and so he's a great editor and has, will have a lot to, to bring to the panel as well. Um, the second marketing workshop is the whole package, how you present yourself to the world. Basically, it's the platform, Julia Park the, Tracy. The full Monty, so to speak. <laughs> oh, Lord, I hope not. Uh, it's, <laughs> what it, 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 it's your platform. It's your, your persona, who you are, who you want your readers to believe you are. Okay, and I'm going to ask, I'm going to interject here. You are not your platform. No. Okay. They are two separate entities. They are. Just keep them separate in your mind. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> it's difficult. Um, and then book covers, the, uh, designs that sell. John Glick is doing that. I don't know anything about John. Do you know anything at all about him? He apparently does book covers. Well, <laughs> we're going to find out, huh? All right. Good. And well, then, I mean, the, that's an interesting thing because you, you were talking about how you were put together from the – was it the independent booksellers matched you up with a book designer? I have a book designer who's been a friend of mine for years, ever since I first started out in Master Gardeners. Mm -hmm. And she's moved twice since I first met her. She and I have never met. Really? Never met, no. Not face-to-face? -face. Not face-to-face, -face, but uh, we on, are uh, good, good buddies and have been. We have a very close relationship. I can see how romances start on – over the internet, um, we have just become such good friends, and we trust each other. Well, why don't we make best friends over the internet instead why? of romances? Whatever. Best, we're we're best friends, right? I and I appreciate her so much. She was not my first book designer. I met my first book designer through uh, BAPA, the Bay Area Independent Publishers yes. Association, okay. which is uh, an organization full of people with those all those talents. What did you learn about a book cover that you didn't know before you talked to your designer? I knew immediately that I could not design my own book cover. I didn't have the talent to do that. But I thought I knew what I wanted. My book covers always have action on them. They have to be appealing to children. They have to be very colorful. And I knew that you had to be able to read the front of a book, your book cover from probably five to ten feet away if it's sitting on the shelf of a bookstall or at a newspaper rack or in an airport. So those are the basics that I, I actually knew. Finding the right person to be able to do that was, you know, a part of that whole challenge mm -hmm. of putting a good package together. Mm -hmm. And my first book designer, I think he did a good job. Um, I have since found other illustrators and then my new best friend of all, favorite book designer, who who does a wonderful job doing that. Those people are hard to find. I mean, you talk to other people and get recommendations. That's probably the best resource. When you're publishing yourself. When you're publishing yourself. If you're traditional publishing, don't even think about it because your publisher is going to have all those talented people on their own staff. But when you're an indie like I am – you it's like you're your own general contractor. You mm -hmm. have to find all those other people that are going to help you put your book package together. So back to the conference. Tony. Tony. Okay. Um, so the last – actually, the second to last uh, track in marketing or workshop in marketing is how to successfully tackle social media. Nina Amir is coming from San Francisco. And Nina's spoken to the Redwood writers a number of times. She's, she's just a very knowledgeable, very knowledgeable lady. She wrote a book called uh, How to Blog a Book. 
And I think I'm trying. I have a, a writer that that writes for my blog, and I'm mm-hmm. trying to convince him that he needs to do that. His posts are so good. Um, and then the last session is is a, a y'all come kind of session. It's from <laughs> four to five. Where, where was that from? What part of the country? <laughs> Bakersfield. My oh, husband's from Bakersfield. Okay. Y'all, right. y'all come. Y'all. All right. um, and it's a general session that uh, where we're going to have two agents. One specializes in nonfiction, one in fiction, both with an open client list. And they're going to take a look at attendees' first pages and take a look at them, say, this is what I like and this is why. Take they're going to take at, a look at them in the group? In, in front of an in audience. In front of everybody. Yes. Put anonymous. it up on the screen. Yeah, and, yeah exactly. Yeah. But anonymous, it will be anonymous. anonymous. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so nobody will be Good to know. Good to know. Absolutely. Right. Um, but, Except by the color of their face. Yeah. We've had about 70 signups for oh, this. Great. This is just going to be a phenomenal um, class. We're all really looking forward now, to it. Now, where on the campus are we primarily going to be? At the library? Bertolini. Okay. The student union, oh, the student, student yeah. center, yeah, yeah Bernalini. Yeah, there's student some wonderful center. breakout rooms there. Yeah. Yeah. This this whole first page for us is uh, a new um, breakout session. <clears throat> we had never done this before. We wanted some people wanted to pitch to agents, mm-hmm. and we didn't want to have a pitchathon. That can be a whole separate conference all on its own, mm-hmm. but. We decided to do this first page thing because so many people all at the same time can be reading and hearing about the good, the bad, and the ugly first pages in in many different genres. Right. We're going to have an overhead projector. They'll be able to read the first page at the same time that part of it's being read. Mm-hmm. And then spontaneously, just like an editor or an agent would in his or her slush pile, look at it and say, nah, this isn't going to work and this is why it's not going to work. Or this is good. I want to keep this and this is why I like this and this is why it works. So all 70 people at the same time are going to get the reaction from these two agents. And I think uh, I think people are very excited about mm-hmm. it. So you have uh, vendors as well this year? We have Copperfields. Uh-huh. They're uh, going to be selling books from um, both Redwood Writers members' books and presenters' books. Yeah, I'll have a table. Um, and you're autographing them with a the, with the little picture too? I sign and sketch each edition sold. Cool. Yeah. So how do you market? Do you Amazon primarily? or I don't know how graphic novels are compared to other parts of the yeah, publishing it's, industry. It's not too different. I mean, the name of the game is distribution. Right. It um, doesn't matter what, what kind of book you've got. Um, and, well, you know, when I had a – let, Let's stop. Remember, we were going to talk about this. We'll, so we'll get with distribution in just a sec. Sure. Publisher first, though. Publisher, give, you get an email or what happens, a letter saying, by the way, we're not going to do your third book. We're going on a business. Oh, well, you know, my publisher um, – as I said before, he was the the editor of their graphic novel imprint for this larger, you know, publishing conglomerate. And mm-hmm. he and I have a great working relationship. You know, he helped. You know, uh, he really gave Kidby its its chance by by taking that that original pitch. And did you hear that? That's the inside Kidby, scoop I of how that. to talk about it. Yeah. It's Kidby, Kidby. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's the t shirt. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, and his name is Bo Johnson, and and um, and so you know, he really helped shepherd it to a larger audience and get it distribution and get it, you know, in the school library journal. And so you know, we had a great work, working relationship. He really wanted to foster that whole 12 book series that I mentioned. Um, so, and the irony of it is, you know, this is, this was a, 
an imprint that had five or a, you know a publishing company that had five different imprints and his was the only one that was consistently publishing and selling anything which was which was which were my books so you know he was basically you know <laughs> shouldering the cost for this whole enterprise and, mm. and you know we had to you know and ended up um uh falling by the wayside so when it came to the point where i where you know he gave me that call and we spoke about it he you know, hit the pavement himself and tried to pitch it to other editors, people he knew in the industry, and and went to publishers and really tried for a solid year to find a new home for it. So, you know, I I bear Bo no grudge or or you know the experience was great. I'm glad I had it. Um, and uh, so when we terminated the contract, it was you know it was all amicable, and you know I I bought back the remaining stock and uh, have since found other distribution channels, some of which. Were maintained from the original mm-hmm. publication. Um, so, do you use Ingram or and bookstores? Or uh, I actually use Amazon um, okay. and also Partners West, which is a yes. small um, know them. distributor up, up, I think, in Portland or mm-hmm. the, that area. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then their their sister Partners East. Um, and then you know I sell also just online and at shows and and actually just recently started to use CreateSpace for a, a new. Reader's Guide to my trilogy of books, which is sort of done for teachers, and it's a very niche audience. So I wanted to do the try my hand at the um, at that venue, and it's actually been great. Create spaces. Um, I wouldn't have thought it'd be a place to to go, but but I would recommend it. Yeah, well, it's a it's an Im- basically Amazon's imprint right. now. Yeah. yeah, so there's a lot of uh, people who want you to succeed behind right. that. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So I'm going to take – we've got about 10 minutes left, which is a perfect time for me to do this tie-in, which I love to do, the advice for writers segment or wannabe writers or maybe thinking about being a writer. So who would like to go first with that? I'd love to start. Okay. Because I've been thinking about this for a long time. I've been writing since I was in the fifth grade. I tried romances for about, oh, two or three chapters. You started with romances? No, I started with, with kids' tales. Okay. And then – I was going to say, went to romances. Yeah, yeah, I just, just didn't have the attention span for a romance. And then I thought, you know what? I've, all my adult life I've been in police work. And what's more exciting than police work? So I, th- I decided I was going to – Watching police work. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, that can be pretty boring sometimes. Too. Oh, no. I'm talking about the on television oh, yeah, and yeah. You know, the cable stuff, right? Um, so the, the biggest thing is, is that even though there were times that I went a year without writing seriously, I always journaled. The, the thing to do is to never quit. It's a sure thing if you quit that you're going to lose. Keep after it. One thing that Redwood Writers taught me, and I joined in 2007, I think it was, mm-hmm. I learned how to set goals, realistic goals, in bite-sized pieces so I could achieve my goals and feel like a success and then move on to the next one, and here I am. Um, as I mentioned, I, I self-published in 2012, um, and... Just this last November, my second book was uh, won a, a, a publisher's contest, uh, Small Press, uh, Oak Tree Press out of Illinois, and they're going to be publishing my second book in the tr- in the in the trilogy. And they have uh, Oak Tree Press has has just co- uh, sent me a contract and signed and hasn't been returned yet, but to republish my first book. 
So I'll have my first book and my second book. I'm in the middle of actually just got the first quarter of my third book done. So I'm going to hopefully get that done by the end of the year. Now, with the new publisher, will you put a new cover on it so they I think so, coincide yeah. or yeah. look, you know, yeah, similar, I, yeah. I'm looking at a at a kind of a logo th- type thing. Mm. Um so I, I I think we'll we'll do a different uh, cover. With a meter maid's bed. Not so much. No. <laughs> no. Great fun. I my sister used used to tell me you should write stories about what you do. I'm sure there's some great ones. Yeah, she said I even have a name for it, Pigtails. T-A-L-E-S. Yeah, yeah. I love that name. (laughs) Sandy, advice for writers. Advice for writers. I would say don't throw away anything that you've written because it really could be used for later on. Whether you think it's junk or not, it might be good for something. I would suggest that you listen to what other people say. People have ideas. People say things in just normal conversations. You never know when you're going to pick up a little tidbit about an event or another person, which is how I got my idea for Howie's Hungerbird Dilemma. Read the kind of books that you think you like to write. If you If you want to write cop stories, detective stories, read those so that you know what the genre is all about. Before I first decided on uh, children's picture books, and of course I've read them to my kids and grandchild, I would go to the library, and I still do that, and get take armloads of children's picture books home because I wanted to get a feel for what they're all about, the good ones, the bad ones, what they should be, maybe innovations, how could mine be different than others. And, of course, write. Just never stop writing. Even if you think that you're writing about nothing, just write. Try and write every day because out of nothing – I think something will emerge, and I think all writers should do that and just keep writing and never give up. Do you have a uh, schedule for yourself for writing? I don't have a regular schedule, but I do write every day. A particular amount of time or anything? Not a particular amount of time. Sometimes if I'm really into it, I can write for two or three or four hours at a time and not even know that all that time's gone by. Sometimes I can write for a good 30 minutes and have a very, very good session and feel, okay, I'm done for now and, and feel satisfied with that. So, Lex, same question with you. How do you find – do you have a schedule since you have a day job, I guess we'll call right. it, which is a creative one, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So you're using all those synapses in that way. Right. It must be – do you get fired up by that or does that make you have less energy to do your own work? Um, I sort of have to com- compartmentalize just mm-hmm. to – for a number of reasons. And, and uh, you know, at the, the studio job at the at the Schultz studio, I work in a – and more of an editorial capacity. Mm. So I'm not drawing. Um, oh, okay. I will edit people's stories and, and work with publishers. Um, and and I have no desire to, to draw. We've got some, some great studio staff artists. And and, uh, and so I kind of reserve that part of me for me. And after work, I will go home. Just yesterday, I was just breaking down a few pages. And, and um, you know, it's tough with a day job, you just, but you just have to figure out um, – you know, a couple hours a day, whether it's whether you write every day or you or you do a thumbnail of a drawing every day, or mm-hmm. 
Um, and those pages will start to stack up. And before long, you'll have a whole book. So when you're doing a, pay, a, a layout of a page, and, mm-hmm. and I assume it's the, the standard, I don't know, what have you got, five or six spaces I, on a standard yeah, page? Yeah, I, I work on a 11 by 14 Bristol board. Um, and traditionally, it's six to, you know, 10 panels per Well, page. that many. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I can get verbose with the panels sometimes. but <laughs> Or uh, very small. Right. Yeah. Um, but as long as it uh, reads visually um, and I'm conveying the, the narrative without tripping up the, the reader, then I, then I feel like I'm doing my job. So do you ink your own dialogue or have someone else do that? Actually, for, for dialogue, that, that becomes a post-production thing and I have a font named after, or ah. worked out of my handwriting. Okay. So oh. it looks as though I've written it. How um, fun. Yeah. Yeah. See these all these That's little secrets. Really cool. Yes. <laughs> Gil, one thing I'd like to say is about our keynote speakers. Ah, yes. At the conference, we are so fortunate to have these two gentlemen be our keynote speakers. John Rothman in the morning is going to talk about how your dream can become a reality. And that man has had more than one dream, I'm sure. He's been a a radio personality for years. He's been a political writer. He's been on presidential campaigns. He's He has a collection of more than 15,000 uh, political books and biographies. He's He's got to be this really fascinating person, and I'm so glad our uh, morning people will be able to hear him. But then at lunchtime, we are so fortunate to have Dana Joya, who is internationally known as a poet and critic, be our keynote speaker. When he said yes, I I just – I screamed. I'm sure people all (laughs) over the county must have heard me. He is just a wonderful poet. And he's going to lay it on us about the joy and misery of being a poet, Mm. which is not an easy thing. And I think he will give us just an absolutely wonderful presentation. And I just think we're blessed by having both these people uh, at our conference this year. Right. And and it shows how you can be a man who sells Jello one week and then becomes a world famous poet the next. Yes, and to have been the um the director and chairman of the National Endowment for the Arts right. for 6 years. I mean, he's Which he's was a, a place to be, you know, have uh, brickbats thrown at you oh, from yeah. all, all sides. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we I just feel so fortunate that we have these two guys with us. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. You have been listening to Word by Word on North Bay Public Media, KRCB-FM, where today's conversation is with writers Tony Heverin, Sandy Baker, and Lex Fajardo. This eclectic group writes mysteries like Force of Fear, thrillers like The Tehran Triangle, kids' gardening and craft books like Howie's Hummingbird Dilemma, and graphic novels in the Kid Beowulf series. Our guest will be joining me and former Word by Word guest Catherine Bramcamp, Catherine Bramcamp, Robert, Robert Digitali, Dana Joya, Linda C. McCabe, Amanda McTighe, Ransom Stevens, and Ann Wilkes as presenters on the campus of the Santa Rosa Junior College on Saturday, April 26th. The conference is called From Pen to Published, Redwood Writers' 8th Biannual Conference. So sign up, say hello, and get your writing muse fired up and ready to go. The engineer and station manager today is our own Robin Pressman. Our theme music is by Bill Conti, and I am your host, Gil Manser. We invite you to join us for our next Word-by-Word Conversations with the Writer's Show on the afternoon of Sunday, May 4th, on North Bay Public Media, KRCB-FM. Until then...
We wish you the best as you grapple with those pesky income tax forms. And for an entertaining and informative look at how things got this way, I suggest you check out the NPR podcast on the history of the income tax with David Kassenbaum entitled From Abe Lincoln to Donald Duck. So just Google income taxes, Abe Lincoln, and Donald Duck. I think you will enjoy what you hear. <laughs> 